0: Welcome to RVR's Life After Camp Podcast. Learn about the camp and retreat ministries of RVR at RivervalleyRanch.com. Enjoy.
1: Tonight in our in our kingdom tapestry, you know, sometimes things that we put together, they they come they come unravel, much like we just saw in the video. And and things that we had thought We had worked so hard to cover, to mask, to to hold together, eventually they come unraveled. And there's not a soul in the room that can't relate to that. I want to read a passage of Scripture to us uh, tonight and for us, and and then I'm going to pray for us as we really want to just invite you tonight to be real. And I want to invite the Almighty, to just love on you tonight, and, and that your heart would be right to respond in such a way that that's that just real. It's just no more fake, no more playing games, no more masks. This is me. And so let me read this to us. It's from Ephesians. We've been in Ephesians really all week, uh, specifically chapter 2, kind of bouncing around. And uh, Ephesians chapter 2 actually begins, the first three verses say this. like the rest of mankind. Let's pray, students. God, thank you uh, once again for an opportunity tonight to be here, God, to be gathered here in the OTM, God, to to open your word, to hear what you would say to us from your perfect scriptures. God, thank you for our day. Thank you for each of these students that you've brought here. Um, with intentionality and purpose. No one's here by accident. God, you in your sovereignty that are spinning the earth at just the right tilt, at just the right speed that we don't fly off. God, you are in charge and you have created us as we've heard, God for purpose, God for for to, for for you, God to that our lives would bring you glory. So father, I pray that tonight as we talk about the unraveling Lord, and specifically a passage like this that's hard. God, would we come to grip in reality with who we are before you tonight, and that we would say yes to you in Jesus' name. Amen. So, you know, I've got four kids. i got a, a four-year-old foster child in the house and, and a newborn in the house, and specifically, you know, with the four-year-old and then the, the four of my biological children that I've raised, in a sense, one of the things that I learned in that process was that I never had to teach them how to lie to me. You ever think about that? That they come out of the womb and they're, well, I was getting ready to say, they come out of the womb so cute. That's a lie. They're nasty looking, all right? When you came out of the womb, you were nasty, disgusting. This white, nasty paste, it was bloody. It's a disgusting scene, all right? I saw it four times. It's miraculous, but it's still gross nonetheless, all right? And you... um you come out of the womb and, and yet then, then you get all cleaned up and, and you look so, so cute and so wow and so awesome. And then, you know, you start raising and feeding and nurturing. And then one day that little cute piggy tailed girl named Ace looks you in the face and says no. And you're like, what did you, what, huh? You just said no to me. You, I know what I saw. I was in the other room and you didn't see me, but I saw you, you just lied to me. What? I didn't have to teach that into her. I didn't have to teach that into her brother or her other two sisters or the foster child. I didn't have to teach that. Anybody ever thought about that? That you didn't have, nobody had to teach you how to lie. Nobody had to teach you how to steal. Nobody had to teach you how to do those things. I'll tell you what, I'm going to change this room just a tad bit. Can I get a little house lighting on faces? I feel like I'm talking into darkness, which is crazy hard for Mr. ADHD me. I need to see, oh, okay, you're arriving, maybe. I don't want to step out of the light because I know that's important, but I need to see faces if possible. Yes. Ha! Ah, awesome. Thank you. Some speakers can do that. I, I need to connect with the audience. So I got to see eyeballs. So now there's a room here for me. Um, so, so you, nobody had to teach you how to do that. You kind of came into the world, into what the passage of Scripture said. Everybody say, dead in trespasses and sins. Dead in trespasses and sins. Here's what that phrase means. That phrase has everything to do, hey, this is convenient. It has everything to do with the sphere that you were, that you were born into. All right? <clears throat> I didn't tell a lie and then become a sinner. Think about it. You don't remember. Your parents probably do, or, or your guardian, or whoever's taking care of you probably remembers that moment, okay? Um, but you didn't all of a sudden decide to lie and then, therefore, you became a sinner. The Bible says that you were dead in your trespasses and sins, which means that it speaks to the realm that you were born into. If this tube of chapstick represents you, you were born into trespasses and darkness. It's the it's how you came into the world. Parents tell me all the time, I don't understand specifically in middle school, all right? Because something happens to you in middle school, it gets crazy, all right? I don't know what it is, but you just go absolutely nuts in middle school. And I'm like, listen, I understand. And mamas come to me, and they're like, I don't understand. I don't understand. Who told them the F word? I don't know where they learned that word from. And they're freaking out because you said a cuss word in the house. You said this. You lied. You told something. And I'm like, listen, you got to understand something. I know they're really cute, and they're really, they are really smell good sometimes most days. Middle school, probably not alright because I right? Y'all don't take showers. You need to take a shower. Just saying. But... You look so awesome, but on the inside, we came into this sphere of darkness. It's how we came into the world. How do we know this? Okay, once again, because we have an instruction manual that guides us. Specifically, if we go back to the beginning, Genesis chapter 3 walks through creation. Chapter 1, chapter 2, I'm sorry, Genesis chapter 3, verse 1, two, three, four, and five is this dialogue between Adam and Eve in the garden. God set it up. Awesome, beautiful place called Eden. And right in the center of the garden, he placed this tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And he told Adam and Eve, everything is here. Everything is for you. You can have, but don't eat from this one tree in the midst of the garden. Now, I always go, okay, God, if you didn't really want them to touch it, touch it. why'd you put it in the middle of the garden? Why didn't you put it way off over in the outskirts somewhere? Because the reason that that tree got planted right in the middle of the garden, they had to walk by it every day. This is, they had to do life around this tree. They had to ebb and flow around it. And every time they walk past it and they obey, guess what they learned? Wisdom. Every time they said, I don't know why, it doesn't really matter why, God said, don't touch, I'm not going to touch, so I'm just going to do, I'm going to keep, this looks really good, I'm going to eat from over here, and it's right in the middle, and every time they obeyed, they gained wisdom and knowledge and understanding. That's what the tree was called. You see, God's got a plan for what he does. He's perfect. And then along comes punk Satan, and he's the great deceiver. That's what he does. He doesn't come to you looking in like some pitchfork and horns and mess and some scary deal. That's not how he works. He's the great, he looks good. And he tempts and deceives. Genesis chapter 3, verse 1, 2, 3, 4, and 5 is this dialogue where he's trying to deceive Satan, uh, trying to deceive Eve. And he's like, really? Is that what God said? I mean, that's really not what he meant. I mean, come on. Read chapter 3 for yourself. There's just this dialogue. And she's like, no, nah, God's, and, uh, is that really what he meant? Really? Is that really what he meant? I mean, come on. Look how good it looks. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 6, Eve takes a bite, and her husband, who was there with her, the Bible says, he ate too. He didn't speak up. He didn't punch, you know, the serpent in the face, which is what I would have done, because I don't, I don't play with snakes, period, all right? Period, and done. They dead, all right? Wouldn't have been no, have been no communication. Joker would have been cut off. Serious. I have a concealed weapons permit for the sake of snakes. That's facts. I cut the grass and when I, and I would see snakes. I'm like, nope, cha-ching, nighty-night, out. That's facts, all right? I don't do snakes, period. That's not what happened. They entertained, they listened, they reasoned, they thought. And then they're like, ooh, it does look good. They both ate and in that moment, Adam and Eve separated themselves from a holy righteous god and they sinned and god kicked them out of the garden because of their sin banished to never return again those people in your life who want to tell you that god is tolerant of our sin have fed you a bucket of slop straight from hell that's a lie god is not tolerant of your sin, nor mine. He is a holy, righteous God. He is all loving, yes, but he is also wrath, and they are very, very balanced. He's perfect. You and I would mess that up. I would, I would not do well if I had that kind of power, but God's perfect. So Genesis chapter 3 walks us through that, and then you get to passages in the New Testament, like Romans chapter 5, Verse 12, I think that one's on the screen for you that says this. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. Because Adam sinned, you and I are now born into a sphere dead in our trespasses. Do you understand? You didn't come out of the woman and choose to sin. You didn't have that moment like Adam and Eve did in the garden. Because of their sin, everybody who comes after them is now born into dead trespasses and sins. Here's here's the misconception that Satan has done with us in deceiving you. To think that, oh, it's just just a little thing. It's just a little white lie. Don't worry about it. Nobody's going to know. It's just a little peek on the internet. It's just a little this. It's just a little of that. It's not going to affect you. I mean, why don't you relax, man? Take a chill pill, all right? Just just calm down. It's just a little have a little fun for a moment. That's what Satan wants to do. He's doing the same thing to you every day that he did to Adam and Eve in the garden. He's the great deceiver. He's good at it. Great deceiver. And we have this idea that we'll just, oh well, it won't really affect anybody. I'll just take one little thing and it's not really gonna, it, it's not like it's gonna destroy me. I mean, come on, relax. It's not gonna be an effect. So myself and and one of my friends another pastor now, he's at another church, but we got together one time, we were trying to, trying to paint a picture for this for students. We were both speaking, and, and we, we're like, we like guns, we like outdoors, we like woods, and all this kind of stuff, and so we walk into the woods, and we make a video about what I'm talking about for you, and I want you to watch this video
0: real quick. You know, a, a lot of times, I don't believe, as, as people or, or followers of Christ, that we completely understand consequences of sin. You see, back in the garden, when God told Adam and Eve not to eat of the tree, He told them the consequence for that sin would be death. And yet, somehow in their understanding and their thinking, they couldn't comprehend that. Um, And maybe, maybe they didn't fully comprehend what death was as the first created beings. Maybe they didn't understand the magnitude of it. But, you know, I think us as people... We're not much different than Adam and Eve in our thinking, and yet we do understand the magnitude of death, and we do understand the magnitude of Christ's death on the cross, but yet we still choose to sin. And you know, a lot of times we think, well, the consequence of that sin is only gonna affect me and no one else, or even better, sometimes we think, I can pick my consequence. If I do this, then I'll just, its just a little consequence, And, and sometimes we think, hey, it's worth it, or I can manage those consequences. And a lot of times we think it looks a little bit like this. You see, we take and we pick the consequence, we choose the sin, and we knock it out. And it was worth it. But you know, in reality, consequences don't play out like that. You know, in reality, we can't manage them. We can't handle them. And that's why Christ came, to take on what we couldn't bear and what we couldn't handle. And yet we choose to sin, and we don't realize that we can't pick the consequence, and we also can't pick who it affects. And sin actually looks a little more like this. The ripple effects of sin, its consequences, go much further than you anticipate at the front end, or you imagine at the end, and it's much more than you can bear. And that's why Christ's death on the cross is so vital and so important. And that's why we as believers have to take sin seriously.
1: There's another passage of Scripture that, that further kind of helps us understand the weight of sin in our lives. And it's in 1 John chapter 1, verses 5-10. through 10. I'm going to show you these verses very slowly. I've broken them up and they're going to they're going to appear independently on the screen because i want your eyes i want your mind i want your ears to absorb every word from god's word before you 1 john chapter 1 starting in verse 5 this is the message we have heard from him from jesus christ and proclaimed to you that god is light everybody say light, light. and in him and in him is no darkness at all. Verse six, if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Verse seven, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. This is the community that we talked about last night that God put us into in this kingdom tapestry. We have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Verse 8, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Verse 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful, everybody say faithful, and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Everybody say all. All means everything. Not just this or that, or or this was greater than this one, this one's bigger than this one, and this one was smaller than this one. All means all. This is what Christ wants to do for all of you, to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Verse 10, if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. This is God's word to you. I don't know where it's going to land tonight. I don't know how it's going to land tonight. I remember what it was like when I was a student in, at camp, in retreats, sitting in church and, and hearing the word of God. I had, an, I had an opportunity to respond to it or harden my heart towards it and say, ah, that's not me. He needs to deal with that. I saw, I heard about what they were doing. I know what's going on over there. It was easy for me to do that. It's easy for you to do that. It's easy for you to come to the reality that you stand in direct opposition to God because he's holy and you're not because you were born into a sphere, a realm of darkness. And the only way that you come out of that is by the repentance of sin and the blood of Jesus Christ. That's the only way. Tomorrow night is an amazing message about the rescue of Christ. But tonight, I want you to understand the weight of who you are before Christ. Because so many teenagers that I meet today are like, dude, I'm good, man. You're good. I'm good. We're good. I'm like, no, you're not. No, you're not good. I I was not good before Jesus. I was filthy, rotten. To the core. That's why I needed Christ. I needed Christ. You need Christ in your life because you only the only way you get to a holy, righteous God is by perfection, and nobody's gonna get there. That's why Jesus came. Because He is the perfect that you and I are not. And if we confess our sins before Him, He is faithful. And I realize that's hard for you because so many people in your lives are not faithful. It's hard for you to grab that. In my, in my town, my, the, the local high school that's closest to me, uh, I do a lot of stuff, I have done a lot of stuff with football players and the coaches and the FCA, specifically in our community. And I remember the football coach telling me one time, he said, Johnji, listen, 87% of all the dudes on this football team go home to a fatherless home. There's no daddy. And biblical manhood is real. The authority of a man is real. It's, it's a God-ordained thing. And so many daddies, so many men in the world today have jettisoned that role and said, oh, I'm not going to raise them. I'm not going to do that. Just like the foster kid in my home. He's never met his daddy. I don't know that he ever will. Because he said, I don't, I don't, now." Nah, uh-uh. And our direct line sometimes to understanding who God is, it's supposed to come to us through God's ordained earthly father. But that in today's cosmos, in today's realm, has been very jacked up. I understand that. I've had way too many teenage conversations to understand that. But I want you to understand that God is the father to the fatherless. That you have, you're have hearing truth From God's word about what it means to be apart from God because of our sin, because of the way in which we came into this world. Proverbs chapter 28, verse 13 says this, whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them, forsakes them, will obtain mercy. See, this is the exact opposite. I tell people this all the time. I'm like, listen, if you would just trust God, if you would just trust God, obey Him and obey His Word, leave all the consequences up to Him. I know it's scary, and I know you think, what if I go tell? What if I go confess? What if I go? Then they're gonna they're gonna look at me differently. They're gonna da 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 da. And and I tell people all the time, I'm like, that is not true. That's not true. What you're gonna find is the exact opposite. You're gonna find people who realize, wow, you're real just like I am. You are, you're hurting just like I am. You got pain just like I do. And you're going to find a community of people who are struggling in life just like you are. But Satan wants to keep us alone. He wants to keep us iso- isolated. He wants to keep us unraveling at the seams all on our own trying to figure it out. And yet God's word says, listen, if you will trust me, if you will just, listen, whoever conceals, whoever hides Their wrongdoings, their sin will not prosper. You will not move forward. But he who confesses and forsakes them, forsaking, it's repentance. All it means is I just acknowledge what God already knows about what I'm trying to hide. All right, God, you know what? I'm done trying to hide this. I'm done trying to cover this up. I'm done trying to wear a mask and act like I don't, but I really do. And and I just want to be real with it, with you, The Bible says that he who confesses and forsakes will obtain mercy. There's just something to it where you desire to be right with. Listen, I didn't even plan to tell you this just came into my head. So, I mean, I'm like, you know, Mr. Goody two shoes, you know what I'm saying? Grew up in a Christian home. I'm seventh generation pastor in my family. Never tasted alcohol in my life. Doesn't make me better than those of you who do. I just realized that Jesus had a plan for me. Never smoked, never did weed, never did any of that stuff. Doesn't make me any more righteous. I still needed Jesus. All I'm trying to tell you is I gave my life to Jesus when I was nine. And he just like was this shield in front of my life. And so I don't know why. I just know I trusted Jesus and I realized he had a plan for my life. But I was still, I still had issues See, my father was Air Force before he went into the the ministry, so that meant that I moved all around. By the time I was in the eighth grade, I had been in 11 different school systems. And we moved all the time, all the time. And I would start something in one school, then we moved to another school, and they would have already done what I was just learning. So in a sense, academically, I started building a house or even a roof before I had a foundation. So I struggled big time in school. Now, I was an athlete. In high school, I took my tests with my coaches because I had to go practice the hurdles because that that track at that school might be a little differently. And so you got to wear some different spikes. And so we need to get over there and practice. But you also have a test today in seventh period. So you're going to take that with me down in the room. And then we're going to get over to the school because we got to practice. Or their pole vaults a little differently or the high jumps a little differently or or you know the wrestling mat, or whatever it was, and I just kinda got pushed through. So college was crazy difficult for me. Crazy difficult for me. In college, I found out I was dyslexic. You see, my whole life, they just put me in the LD class. We don't know what's wrong with him. We don't know why in the eighth grade, I'm reading on a third grade level. We don't know why he can't read Cat in the Hat without stumbling, but yet dude can look people in the eye and have college conversations with people. He can communicate, but he can't read. Like something is wrong with his brain. I heard those conversations over and over and over again. And I just felt dumb. I felt stupid. I felt dumb as a brick. Why can't I read? Why can't I, why do I stutter when I start reading? And why does my brain just do this crazy stuff? And it wasn't until I was in college that I realized, wait, I'm dyslexic. What did you say? What does that mean? That means I don't remember what I read. I can study hard all day and make a D on a test. I, I it's just my life. I can I don't remember what I read. Sometimes I twist stuff up really, really bad with, with a lot of stuff academically. So it was very, very hard, very difficult for me. So here I am, you know, getting a getting a religion degree at Liberty University, trying to trying to do my best. And I remember that day when I've got to take this missions exam. And I come into the classroom. Everybody else had already gotten into the room and the classroom was was totally full with students and desks were everywhere, but I saw one desk over in the back corner. And so I walk in, I made it to class before it was too late and I tiptoe like past people who were stuck up against the wall and I end up in this desk right here. Now, the only people who bring stuff on exam day are the people who weren't prepared or stupid like me, because everybody else had already studied and they were smart enough. And the professor would say, all right, today you have 20 minutes to study, 20 minutes to do whatever. Or if you're, you know, already got it, you already got it, you know it, so you're ready for this exam. Everybody else, you got 20 minutes. So I've got a few notes inside a three-ring binder notebook. That I had studied for this exam because he had given us this stuff to study for. And so there I am in the back corner and I'm cramming. And I'm looking. And I'm, I'm sweating. I'm trying to figure it out because I got to pass. Because I got to what I got to do. I got to do what I got to do. And, and so he's like, all right, everybody put your stuff away. And I set it down like everybody else did. And the exam gets passed out. And there I am. I'm taking my exam. And people are like getting up. You know, those people. Some of y'all are those people that slap you. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, crazy. You know how you just just, just done, done. You just walk out like, I got it, you know. Mm -hmm. That's never me. I'm like the last one freaking out. Well, at some point in the middle of me taking this exam, I shuffled because I was getting anxious and tired, and my heel kicked that three-ring notebook. Bop. Page fell open. Oh, smack, looky there. Um, Now I got a dilemma, right? I'm like in the corner, ain't nobody. See me, what's the professor doing? He ain't looking, he's over there doing, he's like reading a book. All right, okay, what's the
0: answer number two?
1: Oh, all right, okay, I see that one right there. I didn't just cheat a little. Students, I cheated my butt off, right? I looked up everything. I flipped and flopped and figured out a way to figure it out, like, right, it's right here. This is your moment. You take it. This is it. Why would you not? It's right there. I took it. I lapped it up. I left the room. There were still people taking an exam. That's right. Your boy's done. That's what I want to do. As soon as I walk out, I set it out, and I walk out of the room. You see, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. I'm called to live differently. I'm called to be different. I'm called to be set apart. Yeah, he'll never know. There's no cameras in the room. They'll never see it. I mean, who's going to know? It's just this one time. And I leave. And I get in my car. And I'm driving back to where I stay. And the weight of my sin was unbelievable bearable. I serve a holy, righteous God who loves me, who has a plan for my life, who desires my obedience and not my skirting around and trying to cover up and conceal. And the one who conceals his transgressions will not prosper. And in that moment, students, I'm telling you, I knew exactly what I wanted to do because I had relented to this place in my life where I was more concerned about being holy than about being right with people. I wanted God's favor on my life, not to just make it through, not to just figure it out. I want to be right with him more than anything. And I got home, and I called up the professor, and I was like, listen, I need to see you first thing tomorrow morning. Are you going to be in your office? He's like, yeah, John G., absolutely. I'm going to be here. What time you want to come by? I'm like, sir, what time are you getting to your office? He's like, can we just talk about this on the phone? I'm like, no, we cannot. i got to come and look you in the face. I will never forget that moment. I didn't sleep. Driving. Walking into his office, he's like, hey, have a seat. He just like like he wanted to chat and have a little buddy-buddy time. I sat down in his office and I said, sir, I cheated on the exam. I'll never forget his face. I said, I cheated. I deserve to fail. I'm sure I deserve to be kicked out of school. Because I broke an honor code. And I have to tell you that was wrong. I got to come say I'm sorry, and I am confessing this sin before you. He said, all right, thank you. He prayed for me. He said, I'll call you tomorrow. I failed the class. I didn't get kicked out of school. I should have. It's what I deserve. He gave me Grace. I still had to take it over. Years, years, years later, Liberty University calls me up and says, hey, we want you to teach a class. We want you to come be a professor on this campus. We want you to come teach church planting. What you've been doing for the past 13 years in planting churches in America and two in Nicaragua, we want you to come teach college students. But before we do that, we have an application process we need you to fill out. Part of that is, can you send us your transcripts for college? Oh, sure, absolutely. I didn't even think about it. Last thing on my mind. Weeks later, the guy calls me up. He goes, all right, we got all your stuff in. You failed missions? I said, oh, yeah. I said, that's on my transcripts, isn't it? He goes, yeah. You, like, you failed missions. I'm like, uh-huh. I said, there's a story there. If you'd like to hear it, he said, we're good. We're good. I see you took it again and you passed it. Uh Uh-huh. That was it. Listen, students. Don't you think that God who loves you will let you get away with that sin? God is faithful and just to forgive you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Let me share one more scripture verse with you. Proverbs chapter 27, verse 12. Look at this. Pay attention. The prudent sees danger and hides himself. But the simple go on and suffer for it. The prudent. I'm inviting you tonight to the prudence, to the prudent step that I took that day when I confessed my sin to my professor. I saw danger. I cannot get away with this because what if I do? Won't it be that much more easier to do it again the next time and then again the next time and then again the next time because sin is going to take you so much farther than you ever dreamed possible. The prudent sees danger and hides, says, nope, I got to stop. This is done. I got to take this before the Lord. But the simple... The simple who say, relax, dude, it's no big deal. Oh, come on, man, calm down. It's just one, you need to calm down. It's just one little, the simple, they keep going. And they suffer for it. The kingdom of darkness is built and sustained on lies, secrets, and darkness. All that is necessary, students, for darkness to continue to flourish in your life is for you to say, I got this. And you keep it in the dark. All that's necessary. Let me show you a picture. The same light, the same light that causes living things to grow hardens clay. Same light, God is light. Same light that causes living things to grow, hardens clay. Some of you in the room tonight, you're gonna harden your heart and go, nope, not me, I'm good. And the Bible says you're gonna be simple and you're just gonna continue on and you're gonna suffer for it. But some of you tonight, some of you are willing to go, okay, God, I trust you. I got nothing to lose with you. You say you're faithful. You say you're just. You say you're righteous and you will forgive when I bring things to you, I tonight want to bring to the light what something may have been kept in the dark. One of the things that, that we've been talking about is what it means for you to bring something to light, All right, We have, we have darkness. Everybody gets this analogy. And, and what I want to invite you to do tonight is, is bring this to the light. I've been showing this one picture every night so far of this, this created, like what to me looks like creator hands. And, and you can put that on the screen, that, that these creator hands that we have been created in the image of God. When I look at my thumbprint and my hand, I go, okay, according to the Bible, God has hands. We learned that other verse of scripture that he holds me with his righteous right hand. And so, all over the room, there's these white tables. There's some up here, up front, there's some in the back, and there's an index card on each of these tables. I want to invite you tonight to, to take a vulnerable step. See, let's go, Rocket. Everybody give it up for Rocket. There you go. So much better. I, I want to, and you don't have to do this, all right? This is between you and God. And I'm going to be straight honest with you. I realize that you're not ready. Some of you are not ready to make that step that I made as, as that student going, you know what? I want to be right with God. I ho- I would want all of you to be there, but I'm just, I, I've been doing this long enough to know that some of you are going to need a little bit more time to marinate in this. But for those of you that are ready, who are like, okay, wow, that's some heavy scripture. That's really real God's word. I want tonight to be right before the almighty. I'm going to invite you to, to hop up, grab, there, there's a couple pins, there's not a lot of pins. So grab, grab an index card right there. Maybe you write it down, fold it and just hang on to it. Rock it at the end of the night is going to tell you what we're going to do with this. But I want to invite you tonight to bring it from darkness to light and just, and just give it to God. What's going to happen? I don't want your name on this. Please don't put your name on this. This is not going on social media. This is going nowhere but between you and the Almighty. And we're going to collect them. And then this is what my promise to you tonight is. Before I pillow my head tonight, I will pray over every car. Every car. Because I believe that there is power in prayer. I believe that there is something real about you taking a step of obedience, why? Because I've experienced it over and over in my life. When I trust God and I leave all the consequences up to him, I've seen it, students, and I wanna invite you to experience that. I wanna invite you to usher in the Holy Spirit of God into your life tonight by just taking a step and going, this. And you don't need to write a lot, it could be one word, it could be your, your thing. This is what is in darkness right now. This is what I'm struggling with. God, I need your help. And it's just an act of of submission before God. God will see every bit of it. And I'm telling you, I will pray. If there's 180 of them, I'll pray over every card tonight. I will take this card to the throne of Jesus. On your behalf, I don't know you. I don't know your story. I don't know your journey, but I do know that God does. And there's power when people pray for us. It's called community. You may have an even bolder step tonight in your small group to take take this deeper. That's up to you to take advantage of this week. This is your deal. But right now in this moment, students, listen, as you are ready, we're just going to take a few moments, not long, because we have other stuff to do tonight. But I don't want you to miss this moment of an opportunity for you to hop up, grab an index card, make a note, fold it up, and go back to your seat. Rocket will explain what you're going to do with it as you exit. But an act tonight of obedience, of you bringing it to light and inviting Jesus to do what only he can. Students, this is your moment, your time. Take advantage of it.